I hadn't been checking my sales often because there weren't many sales happening. And I randomly checked on December 26th in the morning at like 10 a.m., 100 sales overnight like in the last 12 hours, which I'd never seen those numbers. It was, I think I got more sales in that three-day period than I did in like the first month of the book. And I really thought to myself at the time, this is going to be a flash in the pan. You know, the self-doubt creeps in. It's like, oh, this is only going to last a couple of days. It stayed 100 through at least the end of February. It was a solid 100 sales on average a day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to my social life. I'm your host, Jacob Kelly. As always, today's podcast is powered by Surf. And this is the podcast where we teach you how to grow on social media by talking to people who have actually done it. People like Jordan Tarver, who has sold over 10,000 copies of his book, You Deserve This Shit, thanks to TikTok. And I cannot be more excited to have him here back on the podcast today. Jordan, welcome to the show. Good to be back, man. Good to be back. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure, Jim. Where I want to start today, I want to go back. So like I told you before we jumped on here, I was listening to our old podcast before, which was about two years ago, I think-ish, maybe, that we did that. Um, and we were talked about the book. We talked about you deserve this shit a little bit because you had the Instagram going for it at the time, but you hadn't put it out yet. And what you said was that you were kind of waiting to go through the pandemic before putting it out because you weren't sure if people would be in the right mindset for the book at that time. So at what point did you decide to put the book out? What were the signs telling you that people needed that book now at the time you decided to put it out? I think the pandemic had just kind of, I mean, it obviously was still like going on and, and, and very much entwined, like intertwined in our lives. But I think it had become not as noisy because we have kind of grown to live with it in a way. Like we just were more familiar with the intricacies of how life had changed. Um, and so I'd put it out basically over, a f it was about a year after like the onset of the pandemic. Um, and it kind of felt like things were obviously not normal, but, um, normal in the realm of being able to market something and, and, and not have to cut through like so much noise. So it, honestly, it was, it was really a gut check to be honest. Um, I feel like a lot of things with my work are gut checks and it felt, it felt right. So when we recorded, because I was just doing the math in my head, because you came on shortly after Bobby. So you would have been like over a hundred episodes ago, you were on the show. And so it was probably, so that was like tw spring 2020. So right fresh into the pandemic. So you put it out about a year later or so. So around 2021. Yeah. June, 2021. June, 2021. And I know that the turning point for you was Christmas, 2021, but like, talk to me about pre-Christmas from June, 2021 to Christmas. How are you promoting the book? How is that going? What does that look like? Yeah, so originally my marketing plan was Instagram because that's where I had, I had just existed online since the, the start of any sort of creative work that I put out. And so that was the main part of the marketing plan. And TikTok was always in the marketing plan, but it wasn't as big as I, it is now. You know, it wasn't the, the spot for me to be because it was new, unfamiliar with how to create content for it, all those kind of things. So I started with Instagram and I actually tried to start with TikTok and it just wasn't working for me. And I felt I just needed to choose one thing to focus on because my time was so thin. And so I just went with the thing that I was comfortable with, the thing that I was familiar with. And that was Instagram at the time. And so from like June to September, strictly Instagram marketing for the book, um, the launch was great, which I expected because 
I just launches are going to be buzzy. They're going to be exciting and enthusiastic. People are waiting for the book. But you know, like a month after the launch happens, things fizzle out. And then that's like, that's where the real work starts, you know, where how, like, how can, how, how, how far can you really push this book without the buzz going on? But it wasn't working. Nothing was working on Instagram. It just wasn't converting like I thought it would convert. The algorithm, I, I feel like, had really started to make its changes where engagement was starting to honestly tank. Um, and I had tried TikTok and nothing worked, like I said. But then I was like, I, I knew I needed to go where the attention was. I knew that was going to be the solution to like any of this. And so I went back kind of with a refreshed state of mind um, in the beginning of September on TikTok. And at the time, I was actually doing both travel and self-improvement. I hadn't, hadn't really even picked a niche quite yet. Um, and things were working, but the book wasn't really picking up yet. And I kind of just had a conversation with myself that if I really wanted to make this my life and my career and truly get my message out there, I needed to go after one thing. And that's kind of when I made the decision just to focus on self-improvement content on TikTok. And then that decision really was like the the catalyst to all the progress I have experienced since then. And so the decision to go out of those two niches that you had to go the self-improvement route, was that kind of driven by the fact that like the by proxy would also lead you to promoting the book at the same time? Is that what kind of led you to, to pick that specific niche? Yeah. And like at the same time, I've, I've been a travel photographer since 2014. I mean, we talked about this on the first podcast it was like my better engagement on Instagram was my uh, travel photos at the time. But like, as soon as I started making money through photography and through like paid outdoor gigs, I really started to hate doing the work. The thing that I once loved, it was like a a hobby and a passion that really just filled me with joy. And so I just kind of, I, I looked at it that way. Like I I didn't want to chase travel and all the stuff. It was, if it was making me hate the thing I once loved. And that was kind of like the deciding factor was being able to just be okay with not having to monetize every single thing I was passionate about, which was also a big, like just epiphany in my own life was like, wow, I I don't actually have to make money off, off of every creative thing I do. Um, and that's actually been really rewarding for me now because now with focusing on self-improvement as a business, I now have outside passions to do purely for joy and to not have any like business pressure behind them and just do them purely for the art, the creativity, um, the expression. So I think the switch where I was picking between the two really came from doing paid travel jobs and realizing that's not how I was going to be happy within travel. Um, And I never really felt that with self-improvement stuff because a lot of the the work I was doing was, I I guess, I wasn't working for another client. You know, so writing was for myself and I was creating my own products and I wasn't relying on um, third party companies or partnerships. Uh, And so it felt a little bit more in my control. I could design the ecosystem of that business and really make it something that would make me happy to do, even if I was making money while doing it, which with travel, I feel like I I didn't quite have. Let's talk about that idea quickly, though, about having hobbies just for the sake of having hobbies and to bring joy into your life. Because like, 
in theory, I'm like, that sounds, yeah, like that, that makes a lot of sense. Like we don't often think about doing that. You know, every time I start something new, I'm like, yeah, how do I turn this into a business? How do I make money from this? But now if I were to do something purely as a hobby, I think where I would struggle is finding the time. Because with the thing I'm trying to turn into a business, I'm like, if I'm focusing on the hobby, I'm taking time away from this business, the thing that I want to become the thing. And so like, how do you deal with that dynamic of taking time away from the thing that makes you money to go do the hobby? And like, how do you balance it all? Well, I think the, the important thing to realize is time away isn't always a negative. I feel like time away can actually create more creative inspiration for when you come back to the thing. And a lot of the times, I feel like a lot of your ideas and stuff come when you're not thinking about the thing that you're trying to build. It's like shower thoughts or car thoughts. Um, and so having that understanding, I think, has given just allowed me to give myself more permission to create that balance, knowing that separation isn't going to set me back, but it might actually move me forward because I'll have clearer thoughts. I'll come back um, inspired. I think it also helps like avoiding exhaustion or just being overworked on that one thing. And I'm the same way as you. Like, when any new creative endeavor comes up in the past, it would be like, how can I make money doing this? Um, but I think now that I found my thing that I want to grow a career in, I don't quite have that same thought anymore because maybe I don't feel as desperate for um, income streams to help support this type of career and lifestyle. Um, so I think it just really comes back to understanding that stepping away isn't always stepping backward. It could be, you know, a step forward. And so then how do you kind of with always having these ideas that pop in, like you said, now you've kind of worked to a place where they don't necessarily think like become the, the thing, but how do you determine then like, this is, I know you, you figured this out, but for the person listening to this that has 23 things that they're, that they're quote unquote passionate about that they want to do, but they need to pick one because focus is important. What are the criteria they should put on it to determine what should be the one thing? And do you mean to turn into a business? Correct. Like what should be their focus and like what else can remain as like a hobby they don't have to, because I think that's part of what messes people up. If they have the mindset that this is the one thing that's going to be the business and everything else is for fun, I think it'll change how they operate doing each of those things. So how do they figure out which one should be the focus that becomes the business? I think there's like two ways to look at it. Um, like the first is the business aspect side of things. Is there a need? Is there a solution that needs to be solved for that thing? And can you provide that, uh, not just a solution, but a unique solution? Because if you don't have a unique solution, it's going to be really hard to cut through. Um, so I think that's really important. But also just like on the more personal side, you have to realize that regardless of what your job is in life, there's always going to be shitty things about it that you hate, even if you love the thing you do, right? There's always things that I do in my writing career that maybe I don't, it's not my most favorite part about the gig. And so you have to think about if this passion, whatever that passion is, and you could do this by evaluating each one, if this were my job, would I be okay if there were things about it that I wasn't going to fully enjoy? Like, is there enough outside of those things that it's going to fulfill me and that's not going to take away from it? And that kind of goes back to my the photography stuff was I felt like, the pressure of performing this art for money and 
having to serve clients maybe on jobs that weren't exactly what I wanted, I felt like that was going to take away too much. And, the, and I actually came to the answer through experience um, and through ac- experiencing me not feeling the joy I thought I would feel. Um, and so I think that's also another way is try it. And if it doesn't work, if you hate it, on to number two. Try it if you hate it, number three, and so on. And I think in anything in life experiences the best way to get clarity. Yeah, you don't have to do it for a long time either. Like, I don't, do you know Tom Boyd? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, he's, uh, he's a good, uh, good guy. He's, he's helping. I've worked with him with uh, just random um, content strategy for some new stuff I have coming out. Yeah. So he, he always talks about doing things in sprints. Like you don't have to pick one of those things and do it forever. Like if you pick one of these things, you can go 30, 60, 90 days, you go all out at it. You'll have a pretty good idea at the end of that sprint, whether you like it or not. So it doesn't have to be a huge time commitment either when you're making that decision. I like that approach. And you also, but you talked about one thing you said there was that you also have to identify whether there's a need or not and a unique approach. So what was the need you identified specifically with, with your content now with the self-help content and the book? There's a lot of self-help creators. There's a lot of self-help books. What was the need you identified the unique angle you had that made you want to go that route? I think at least for me writing the book, I felt like I wrote this, my book when I was 24 and 25. I'm 27 right now. Um, So I was like pretty young to do something like that. And I felt like that kind of gave me a leg up on the uh, younger communities being able to connect with a younger author or someone in that space that maybe saw more eye to eye and where they were. Um, but also just to be honest, my unique perspective, I feel like I have a unique perspective and approach on a lot of things and different frameworks I've come up with, like the one introduced in the book, the three pillars of self-discovery. Um, and I hadn't really seen a framework for self-discovery quite yet. Um, and still now I, I feel like I really haven't seen like a framework around that. And that was really the, the vote, the check that this would, you know, do well in a market and serve people that are looking for guidance on their self-discovery journey. And then to talk to me now about Christmas, this, this most recent Christmas, you know, so you had the, the, the jump at the beginning when you launched the book, you had the spike, and then it was a little bit slower up until Christmas. And I think it was December 26th, you checked and you had a hundred sales or something like that. I posted a video. I must've been on, on Christmas day. And I hadn't been checking my sales often because there weren't many sales happening. So I just was very like, uh, there's no point for me to check. And I randomly checked on December 26th in the morning at like 10 a.m. And I was like, holy shit, like 100 sales overnight, like in the last 12 hours, which I'd never seen those numbers. It was, I think I got more sales in that three-day period than I did in like the first month of the book. Um, and I went back and on TikTok, and of course, there was a video that, I wouldn't say it was viral, but it was picking up traction more than any other video I'd posted. And it had my book in it. Um, so it was direct marketing that was gaining traction. And that's when I was like, whoa, I really realized the power of this app. I really realized what I was or what it was capable of helping me do in my, you know, reaching my goals with the book. So happened on December 26th. And I really thought to myself at the time, this is going to be a flash in the pan. You know, the self-doubt creeps in. It's like, oh, this is only going to last a couple of days. 
And then those sales just kept the hundreds. It stayed a hundred and it never went below a hundred for probably like a solid two or three months from uh, the 26th. So the, through, you know, f- at least the end of February, it was a solid hundred sales on average a day. Um, and so that, you know, proved me wrong about the flash in the pan, but it was so easy for me to doubt it because I hadn't seen any numbers like that yet. You know, I was seeing five books a week, 10 books a month, that kind of stuff. And so it really changed the, the path of the marketing. And so what was that TikTok that you posted on Christmas Day that started this all off? I, was, I started doing book recommendations. And you may, you, know, you may see this on TikTok because I think you follow me, but for other people out there, the book recommendation video is me recommending X amount of books to help someone do X thing. And one of those books is mine. So the beauty of that piece of content is one, it provides value, which I think is important in social media. And I think it's obviously talked a lot about everywhere is, is how much value you're providing. And that's kind of like one of the pillars in my marketing is I don't really want to market my book to sell. I want to market my book in a way that I'm actually providing them value beyond saying, not directly, but saying, hey, you, you should go check this out. And the way to do that with book recommendations is including other books. And so I'm not just being like, hey, buy this book. It's like, hey, here are five books that I really think will help you do this. You know, and that gives them choices. And so instead of selling, I'm showing. And that's something I learned uh, from my friend Mike was show, not sell. And I feel like that makes people a little bit more open to the video, the product, and it doesn't feel like someone's just shoving something down their face like buy this, buy this, buy this. Um, and those book recommendations really caught on. I, I still do, do them to this day. Um, and in February, I mean, we can continue the story. Uh, I had one actually go viral, 3.5 million views. And that video alone sold 1,800 books in three days. And so the power of these videos is literally insane. <laughs> show don't sell. I really like that. And was that video that you posted on Christmas morning then or Christmas day, was that the first time you'd done one of these book recommendation videos that was like show not sell? Like what made that specific video, do you think, so special? Like why did it catch a little bit of fire? So I had been doing book recommendations before this. But I was doing, I started with three books. And then around Christmas time, I decided to increase it to 10. And for some reason, the 10 really got a lot of traction. And I think maybe like looking at more of the algorithm side of things, maybe because people stayed longer through the video, because there's 10, so they want to see all of them, the algorithm, you know, picked up that watch time. And it, it kind of picked up the video that way. And so I, I started to lean in more to like longer lists of books. And now I do more of a combo, like three, five, or 10, to kind of just play around with. But it was, it, it was moving from three to 10 in the beginning that really got the traction. When I was doing them at first with three books, it was good. You know, it was a couple thousand views here and there. It wasn't anything over 10K though. I think part of the beauty of that series that you do as well it's like when when i see them pop up in my feed it's like one yes it's a great recommendation but two as someone that's interested in those type of books 
I like to see if I've already read what you're going to recommend just as like a, Oh yeah, I've read that. That's a good book. I, you know what I mean? So it's like for both someone who's looking and has already read, like it's a series that they can both consume in slightly different ways, but it works for all people in that, in that space. If that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Which I just thought was interesting. So I think that, 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 and you said with the longer watch time too, that definitely helped. And you also mentioned you thought it was going to be a flash in the pan because you've never seen numbers like that before. So how did you follow it up? Like, did that, did thinking it was going to be a flash in the pan change your response to it? How you reacted, how you followed up that video? Did you kind of go about business as normal? Did you try to capitalize on this extra little bit of attention and sales that was happening? How did you follow that up? Yeah. So actually I doubled down on what was happening. Um, started doing more of these types of videos, but specifically we'll talk about like, let's just look at the next, um, let's call it seven day period. So the, the video gets traction on the, the 25th and 26th. And then it gets like, you know, tons of people are commenting. And like one thing I'll recommend to everyone right now, the one thing that has really been key in my growth on TikTok has been responding to every single comment, regardless of how many comments there are. Um, I responded to a lot of comments that day. And it takes time. You know, I would set, it, set aside an hour in the morning, but I really do believe it, it truly does build trust. People um, feel like they're in your community. And being an author, a lot of people don't have that interaction with authors traditionally, that one-on-one -on -one kind of conversational. So I think that was like kind of key. Um, so that's an, a side tip from what I'm kind of talking about with the seven-day period. But people started commenting, asking questions about other recommendations for other um, struggles and situations, you know, whether it was for teens or anxiety or um, productivity that more like niche topics. And so what I did was I just started doing reply comments and making more recommendations from those comments on the video that was getting traction. And not only does that then provide value to those people and help get that video out to a new group, but it also feeds engagement back to that video because people see that it was a reply. And so they're going to go check out the original video. And so I really dove into how could I connect more ideas off this video that was gaining traction by doing the replies, by the reply videos, but also the replying in comments. Um, and I kind of did that for seven days because there was like, I would, I think there was like at least five to seven comments that were worthy of a video that would do well. And that would serve a, a really good purpose. Um, and then another thing that happened was I set the, the clips, because this one was just photos of a book rather than me holding the book in person. And so I set the clips to like a second and a half or like 1.2 seconds. And so a lot of people were like, yo, like this, this video is way too fast. Can you like slow it down for me so I can get all the books? And so I used that as a way to create that same list in more forms. So I did some like with a green screen on an, an, a note and said, screenshot this list and I like move out of the way. Or I did a couple where I just pointed and it was like in text form. And so I took that same video, same books, same concept and re just repurposed it in just different visual ways. Um, and that was my way of taking that one video and really just expanding and extracting as much value as I could for the purpose of the marketing. 
Have you noticed if any one of those specific styles of video tends to do better than the others? Is it the one with the pictures of the book? Is it you physically holding the book? Is it the list they screenshot? Is it you pointing at text? Like, is there any one specific style that repeatedly did better than the others? It changes, to be completely honest. Um, so for a time, it was really good doing the photos. And then they kind of started to fizzle out. And I was like, you know, I think people would actually like to see me holding the real book. And so I started doing holding and doing only three books when holding. And that's the style that is the one that went viral. Um, and there's a couple other styles I do. And I kind of will do them all in some random order. And when I see which one is working right now for like the current state of the algorithm, let's say, I'll lean into that one. But I'll always ex like my thing with TikTok is find the things that are working well for you, but always leave a little bit room for experimentation. And then when you find something that you're experimenting with that sticks, put that into your more uh, weekly or whatever, you know, percentage of your content that that are the for sure things that are working i guess put that into your like sticky idea package and i'll lean into that so i, I had this like I, I feel this ecosystem and, and movement of experimentation while doing the things that work and then when something i'm experimenting with works put that with the ones that work and just keep doing that cycle um, and that's kind of how i evaluate which style of book recommendations is currently working for me. And what other types of content are you posting beyond the book recommendations? Yeah, good question because I definitely don't want to become a book recommendation person. <laughs> That's not my business at all. Um, and so I do typical like tip style videos um, or just teaching lessons, whether that's, you know, directly from the book or from some... So I'm really, right now I'm really focused on purpose and passion and helping people find those two things, their purpose and their passions. Um, and so focusing on a lot of content around that. And that could, you know, vary from like, here are three tips to do this or just kind of like a ranty style um, piece of advice, let's say. Uh, and then sometimes I'll trickle in. I don't do it too often, but vlog style advice um you've seen like i know bobby is like that's his like main um content style i don't know if you're familiar with his feed but that's like his main style and i'll, I'll trickle in kind of that style here and there they don't tend to perform as well for me but i think having the variety makes it more interesting for the community and I know this is in the book but i'm going to ask you anyways and you don't have to share this if you don't want to give away too much from the book but you said you want to help people find their purpose and passion. And I feel like a lot of people get those two things either confused or they just use them interchangeably. So how are they different? Great question because it's so true. Um, and I'm coming out with a new ebook and workbook called The Pursuit of Purpose, which is designed to help people find their purpose in 30 days. And this is actually, this concept is talked about within the first five paragraphs of the book. And your purpose so first off, your purpose and passion are not interchangeable. Let's get that straight. Um, and I think that's, it, that's just a common confusion. I think it's just been used wrong here and there. Your purpose is your why. It's the reason for which you do something. Um, it's not a 
necessarily a tangible thing. It's how you want to serve. So for me, my purpose is to heal people through my creativity. Your passions, on the other hand, are the activities and the hobbies and the, the actual things that you do. One, that help you reveal and like fulfill your purpose, but two, bring you joy, bring you pleasure, bring you satisfaction, bring you fulfillment. Um, and so the way I look at it is your passions, those are your vehicle that move you through, through life. Your purpose is the gas that keeps it going. And so for me, my passion is writing and my purpose is what fuels my writing. And so that's my way of explaining the difference. Can the vehicle, so of those two things, can the vehicle change or can the fuel change? Or is it like you've got to find one specific thing and once you find your vehicle and fuel combination that works, like you're, that's the thing or can they change? I'm rolling with this analogy further, but like how, how can I, like, are they, can you change them or once you find them, are, are those, the, are those it? No, you can definitely purchase a new car that takes different vehicles or <laughs> takes different gas. Um, but yes, I, I think it's important to understand that they are um, ever evolving just as life is. And it would be a disservice to yourself to try to marry yourself to something for the rest of your life. It's the same thing like with goals. Like your goals at 21, 25, 35, 50, and 75 are never going to be the same because you've grown as an individual. You're different and that's just how it is. And purpose and passion is the same thing. What? Let's focus on passion first so we don't confuse them again. What activities and hobbies may make you happy at 17? Probably going to be wide, like very different than 45. And I think understanding that, <laughs> yeah. And I think understanding that early on is, is very beneficial because you can be more open to things that come your way. Same with passion or purpose, excuse me. The way you feel like you're here to serve will change as you grow because as you grow as an individual, new perspectives come into your life. You have more access to what you could actually do on the planet to help people. Um, for me, for example, when I first identified my purpose, it was to live a creative and adventurous life and encourage others to be the best versions of themselves. Now, progress more in my life, my purpose is to help people heal through my creativity. And so that has evolved with what has just felt really close to my heart. I'm glad we were able to kind of talk about the distinct point between the two. And I mean, I also, so it's early in the book, so it's okay. I guess it's okay to share, but I'm curious what that line is between oversharing, like giving away the whole book on TikTok versus holding back information. So someone wants to buy the book. Like, how do you bounce those? Who think we don't want to give away too much where it's like, why would I buy the book? If I've got the whole book here on TikTok, I can just consume that way. Like, how do you, you know what I'm saying? Like, how do you balance that? Well, so this, you're talking about my new book. Yeah, with either the, the new book or even like you deserve this shit. Like you, you were saying how you you teach lessons from the book on TikTok. So it's like if you teach all the lessons in the book on TikTok, like why would someone still go buy it? Like what's that balance? In my opinion, you'll never get the product without buying it just because the way it's packaged. And you could, you know, consume 150 videos about the book, but because because those aren't linear, like the book is written. I just don't think it would give you the same value if you read it from start to finish. And so 
to be honest, I'm not worried about giving away too much of the book. If I give away enough and that person feels like they got what they need, that's fine with me. I don't, I don't feel like I'm trying to hide something so to almost like pull someone in and, and sneakily make them purchase my book. If they feel like they can improve what they need to improve in their life through my free content, great. I, you know, I, I'm doing the right thing, honestly. So I'm not too worried about that. Yeah, no, it's a different experience reading a book too, right? Like you're alone with your thoughts in the book. And so like it might trigger different responses when you're reading it. And that's even like, I see things like Blinkist where it's like 50 minute summaries of books, but like just getting the lesson of a book, maybe that's enough for some people. But for me, it's like, I need to really kind of sit there. I need to marinate in that idea. I need to like spend time with that idea while I'm reading it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And like with this new book that I'm coming out with, the difference in this and the reason why it's an ebook and not a traditional book is because it's a step-by-step process. And so what I do is I take everything from the ebook portion and I've created a 30-day workbook action plan to help them implement the exact things I'm teaching into their life. Because what I realize with self-help books, even when I read them, you know, you read a book and then 10 days later, the inspiration's out the door and you're back at ground zero. And so my, my intention with this new thing is to provide more guidance than information. And so if I'm going to share all of the new book on TikTok, but people won't have that through line of the workbook off, off just off of the videos. Um, and that's why I'm not too worried about sharing, oversharing the, the content. And I actually had an idea the other day and I jot it down on what I'm going to do. I'm actually going to create a video, a long form video that explains the entire book in very detail and be like, here's the book. But if you want, the exact plan, like you're going to need to get the actual product because I can't put a 30 day action plan on, on TikTok with all the worksheets and all that kind of stuff, but I'll give all the information if that's what someone needs and they don't want the guidance. Um, so again, I'm not worried about oversharing because I feel like there is something with the experience, like you were saying with reading by yourself with like that, that moment of self-reflection where I was on TikTok, you watch the 15 second tip video. Now you're on to creator number two. And then creator number three. And um, I just don't know if it sticks as well as it would if someone read it front to back. And I like the idea of the workbook and, and the worksheets and stuff because it creates the follow through, which to your point, like I've been always thinking like how, what's the best way for me to consume like a, a self-help book, right? It's like what I've kind of boiled it down is like, I need to pick like one or two key lessons from that and implement them, like try and find a way to implement them into my daily routine. Cause like trying to implement a whole book into my life I find tough. So it's like, I need to try, try and find a couple of key things that I can try implement, focus on that one thing, see what, how the results are, and then kind of onto the next thing from the next book. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I like that you're incorporating that to make sure that there is follow through. Cause to your point, people read it 10 days, they already forgot what they read. So it's like, it creates that action. Yeah. And like, I'm saying that as a self-help author with a, a real self-help book out in the world, like I understand that there is a lack of guidance in a traditional form book just because of the medium that it, is, you know, and understanding that with my own book out there, I think gave me the inspiration to want to create something that had that implementation so that it could create like true positive change. And when is this book? When is this coming out? We're shooting for summer. Um, we're working on the creative right now for it. And Sometime, I, I imagine, we haven't set a, a, a specific date quite yet, but somewhere around mid to end July, 
Um, kind of just going with the flow in it, though. And I want to jump back to something. We talked about this a couple times, but you talked about the flash and the pan thing. And there's a question I wanted to ask you, but we kind of just, we got down this rabbit hole, but I want to jump back to that quickly. Why did you think it was going to be a flash in the pan when your book started to sell? I think because I just hadn't really experienced that type of success through my own creative work quite yet. And so it was unfamiliar to me. And maybe because it was so unfamiliar, I felt unworthy of it. And so I didn't feel like it belonged to me, almost like it was an accident. Unpack unworthy for me, because you mentioned earlier in this podcast as well, you've been creating or doing photography at least, which by proxy is like creating and posting on social media since 2014. So it had been over seven years that you've been working for a moment like this, and yet you get that moment and you feel unworthy. Why? I think because for seven years, I, ha- I never had it. And but now, you know, I feel completely worthy now, you know, and I did that work on myself to kind of get rid of those self-limiting beliefs and kind of rewire the way I was thinking. But early on, because I had worked for seven years and didn't really see that much income from it, um, again, it was just so unfamiliar. I didn't know how to accept it. So now when you get the next level of success, whatever that looks like for you, has the work you've done, is that going to prepare you for the next phase or has that work you've done now made you accept and feel worthy of the current state and will you have to kind of do the cycle all over again when you experience the next level of success that you're going to achieve? I think there's two parts to that. I, I, I don't feel like I'll feel unworthy of the next success. However, I do think it's still important to do work around unworthiness because how easy it is for it to kind of trickle in the back of our minds because it's unworthiness is that negative voice that we all hear, you know, it's, it's something that can come in at any time. And so I think doing work around it, positive affirmations, journaling, that kind of stuff, I think it just becomes an integral part of the process of being an individual creator because you just never know when those thoughts kind of sneak back in. It's really important. I think for a lot of creators, like, they don't realize that this is going to happen when they finally achieve success. And I feel like a lot of people that that trips them up when they get there, then, you know, to your point, you've been doing this for seven years and it happens. And so that's a really important thing. I just want to highlight for creators that even though you want this thing, like I'm sure you wanted this exact moment for seven years, but even when you get there, it's, it's not what you expect it to be. And that's not always a negative thing, but like, it's just never how you expect it to be. And it's going to change things for you. And I think part of that is probably because people are People don't like change, even if they don't realize it. So there's probably some like internal pushback on that change, which is why there's some of that, those feelings. Yeah. And like another thing, like for me, I waited seven years for this moment, but you have to remember hedonic adaptation or the hedonic treadmill that even when you do get that moment of success, you're going to return to a baseline level of happiness and satisfaction. It's not just going to level you up where you're just feeling this like crazy bliss and like buzz all the time you're going to return to that state. And so although you may want and desire X thing, X amount of dollars, X amount of followers, you have to find joy in life through other things because once you reach that level, let's say once you hit 100,000 followers, you're just going to return to that same feeling of maybe it's not enough and you're going to be seeking that next achievement because you want that feeling of that high that you get from the success. And so although we may want the success so bad, I think it's important to place value on other things in life that kind of fulfill us in other ways on a daily basis. So when that, you know, setback, that hedonic adaptation 
happens um, and brings us back to our baseline, there's other things in our life that are happening that are making us feel uh, happy and joyful and, and just satisfied. Would you have had this perspective or handled this success the same way had it happened in year two instead of year seven? Or did putting in the efforts consistently and your efforts and your experience compounding lead to you being able to navigate this in the best way? I think you said it best right there. I, I, I think, I don't think I would have been able to handle it in year two. And that's why I think it happened in year eight um, was because I didn't have the mindset I didn't have the framework just within the business to handle the success and the traffic and the leads and the, the new people in the community. I didn't have a foundation really set besides sharing online was really all I was doing. Um, I feel like in the beginning of my, which is true for most people, I was just a, an artist. I wasn't business minded at all. I wasn't a business owner. And so I was just sharing for the sake of sharing art. Um, but now, fast forward, you know, seven, eight years, I have frameworks in, in place. I have systems in place that enable me to handle the success better, but also like capitalize on what's happening and capture traffic and capture people and, and community leads and that kind of stuff. And so although I may be at the time desired it happening earlier, I think being in the present moment with much wiser eyes, I understand why it didn't happen because simply I wasn't ready for it. Why'd you keep going though? Seven, eight years, like seven years when it popped 2014, 2021, now we're in year eight. Like, why did you keep going all that time when it wasn't working the way you, you wanted, you thought you wanted it to go? Because I believe in myself, like wholeheartedly. I don't have any uh, disbelief in what I'm capable of do here. I don't have any doubts of uh, the heights I can reach. And I think that's key in, in anyone's creative journey is if you believe in yourself, that's truly the secret to creative success is if you have that belief, you're not going to stop. And if you love the thing you're doing, you're not going to stop. And I think that combo, that belief in love is kind of what was the lever and, and really the, the fuel to my just creative fire. What was the inflection point then? Kind of looking back on it then, like, there was a point where if you were to look back and try and figure out what was that point where things led to you going where you are now versus it could have gone the complete opposite direction. Like what was the one like key decision you think you made that was like the butterfly affected to get you to here now? Deciding not to monetize photography and deciding to go all in on self-improvement work. I think for a long time, I knew that's what I needed to do. But like you were saying, afraid to change, I was afraid of letting go what had been attached to my creative identity for so long. That leads me to, I, have, I wrote down three quotes. I had a bunch more in my notes. Maybe I could send them to you what I highlighted after this, but I, I picked three because I didn't want this whole podcast to just be going like quotes from the book. So I, I picked three of them. And that kind of le leads perfectly into the first one here is that your potential is a decision. It's your decision. Talk to me about that a little bit because I feel like a lot of people think that life happens to them and they don't happen to life. Yeah. Well, it can definitely feel like that. and I and I. I think we all have been there where we feel like we're just kind of floating through life and it's, it's, we're not creating anything. It's just happening to us. And it's kind of like how you're, what hand you're dealt. But I believe potential is a permission you give yourself to 
the level of like the permission you give yourself to achieve X amount of success. And so you get to decide the ceiling for yourself, you know, just by understanding what you believe you can achieve. Um, and so I don't actually think potential is based on the life you were given. I, I really believe it's what you believe in you are capable of doing. And that comes back to that self-belief thing. You know, if you have that quality, or if you do the work around believing in yourself and you start to trust yourself with things, the potential that you see for yourself is just going to naturally increase. Well, we fulfill our potential. And maybe my definition of fulfilling our potential is is different from yours or it's the wrong definition. But I think like when you achieve what you're trying to achieve, when you achieve your potential, do you in theory become less happy? Because there's a quote here and it's because in life, in the things we enjoy struggling, it's the things we enjoy struggling for that provide us the most happiness. So as things become easier then, if because the struggle of getting to fulfilling our our potential, that's where the happiness is. Once we achieve it, then are we less happy? And should we enjoy the struggle more than we do and not just focus on the final outcome? Yeah, I mean, it goes back to the cliche of you know, enjoy the process. Um, there truly is no destination. And I will swear by that for the rest of my life. But at the same time, I don't think I'll ever reach my full potential because there's always room to do something more. Um, but it goes back to that ceiling you know if you create your ceiling low and if you create what you can achieve and you you set the bar low yeah you might get there and be like okay well there's nothing left for me to do and so that's why it's i i believe it's important to not create a ceiling like we live in a time where legit anything is is fucking possible with the with technology with social media um you really can do anything you want like people are trying to go to fucking Mars right now. Like, I don't know if that is not a good example of anything's possible, but um, I think that alone inspires me to not set low expectations or not set boundaries and limits to what I'm here and capable to do. So I think it really, like, yes, it could make you unhappy. Maybe if you reach your potential and be like, oh, like there's nothing left for me to do. But like, I don't think you should set those self-limiting beliefs for yourself. I think that you should understand it's okay to aim high, but it's also okay to know that you may never get there because that, that level of height is only going to increase as you grow as an individual, become better at your craft, become better in content, your business, whatever it is. That's just going to grow, I think, exponentially with your own growth. And so your potential is what you may feel now it's just, a, it's ever expanding in my mind, you know? So I think it's a tough question to actually answer perfectly, but um, I do believe that your potential is expansive, ever expansive, which means like you may not actually get to the destination. So if you're happy with struggling for what you're working on in the process, I feel like that's actually going to give you, you know, the most in return. And part of that struggle, part of the process, is failure, which leads to the third quote, can failure result in growth spurts? 110%. What is a failure in your past that has led to a growth spurt? I think photography not working. And going back to the same thing, like I was so adamant, like I wanted to be a, a National Geographic photo writer journalist, like no, no joke. That's like what I had set out for myself. And that was my dream. Like, I wanted to travel the world. I wanted to 
I wanted my only job to be going on these excursions and coming back home. And like, I had all these visions, like I was going to go on these trips. I was going to collect like things from nature and things from the culture and bring them back to my room and make like a visual mood board and take these in and make the story. That's like what I wanted to do, but it didn't pan out that way. And I think from falling short of that dream, which I, I don't regret that at all. I think everything happens for a reason and I trust the flow of the universe and I'm just here surrendering to what is happening around me and trusting that what happens to me is supposed to happen to me. And so when that happened, that gave me, made me more open to other ideas, self-improvement. So if that never happened, if I never, because I didn't achieve that thing, it inspired me because I still knew I, I needed to do something creative for a living for the rest of my life. So it inspired me to explore a different route. And so without that failure, or what I look at as a lesson, you know, I wouldn't have been able to make the decision to try this new route of, a, of another passion of mine. You said the word surrender in there, which I know is your word of the year. How do you, what's the, the balance then of, of surrendering to things as they happen? You know, coming to terms with things, surrendering to them, but also not accepting things, being strong in your convictions. And even though the world is telling you one thing, going your own way and finding your own path. Like how, what is, how do you balance that, those two things? Well, first off, everyone should read the book Surrender Experiment. It's the very first self-help book I truly read. And it is the first thing that really taught me to just trust the flow of life. Um, second off, I think you can be within your own path and surrender within your path and just know like when things happen to you on your path that they're meant to happen. So you may have, I may have certain goals of what I want to reach as a writer, let's say. But the success I see for myself in, let's say, 10, 20 years will probably be really different than what I imagine it to be. And understanding that early on is already, I already give myself permission for that to be okay. That doesn't mean I shouldn't strive for that thing because I think striving for what I think all the success or the place I'll reach is what's going to bring me to where I'm actually supposed to be. And it's being open along that journey to the unexpected opportunities that come your way, the unexpected situations that you're faced with, the people that you meet, and just being open and, and accepting them and inviting them into your journey and seeing if it's something that's going to serve you or not. And I think that is the mindset of, of being open allows for the surrendering to take place within your own journey. Moment to whom it may concern. When can we expect volume two? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that will ever happen. Maybe it will. But uh, for those who don't know, that was a, a project I put together before You Deserve the Shit. It was a, a book I wrote after my solo backpacking trip. Um, so I, I, wouldn't, I, I would never say the project is closed, but I also wouldn't say I, I, I know about a volume two. Because the first book was... It was essentially you took your journal entries from your trip and you turned that into a book and reflected mm -hmm. on those lessons. Yeah. In the after, like, so you was reflecting on them in the moment when you were journaling, but then reflecting on the lessons after the fact in the book. And so I'm assuming, like, maybe there'll be a time when down the line, or even now, would be kind of interesting. Like, as the success has finally started to happen the way you always thought it would, like, that would be interesting. Like, how to unpack success as it happens to you. I think that'd be interesting. I love that, and I, I like that's like why. 
I think it's a very cool concept because the concept of the book is that to whom it may concern, if this book fell out of my bag or was left at a coffee shop, whoever picked it up, it would be written for them and to them. Um, and I still, you know, I keep a daily journal and I just recently started this new thing within my journal um, where I'm labeling at the top what the journal entry was about at a, a high level at the end. So when I flip through, I can have a quick, quicker reference of what each thing was about. Um, and now that I've been journaling you know, through all the success, it'd be interesting in years to come to kind of unpack what I'm writing about. And, you know, all the journal entries m- might not be linear about exactly the same thing, but pick and choose which ones can create a storyline. Do you have any, I know you have a couple journal prompts in the book. I'm like collecting journal prompts right now. And I'm like, and I'm using them whenever I, I've collected over 500, but I'm curious if you have any, any journal prompts or any new journal prompts or anything that you're really enjoying right now. Something that I've been, it's kind of like, it's not a specific question, but it's, I guess it's a, a guidance of journaling that I've been using. So I used to do like more like of a, a daily, let's call it daily diary for the, just because everyone knows what that is. But writing just about what I was doing wasn't really serving me besides creating a, a record of what was going on in my life. And so what I've started to switch, what I've started to do differently is not just write about the things I'm doing, but write about how those things are making me feel. Because I feel like when we dive into our emotions, we learn a lot about ourselves. We learn a lot about what makes us feel good and what makes us not feel good. We learn a lot about how we overcome certain things or how we deal with certain situations or handle certain successes, for example, kind of going back to that idea. And so I feel like that helps me create not just a record of what's going on, but how did I handle positive or negative this situation specifically? And so just again, I'll reiterate, journaling about how the things you are doing are making you feel has been my main direction of journaling probably for a good year now. And it's the thing I do every day. So almost like, so for, in terms of a prompt, like it would be pick something recently that's happened to you that's either made you feel really happy or really sad and unpacked why that is or really mad. Something, something where you had an extreme emotion and try to It doesn't even have to be extreme. Is. It could be like, for example, the other day I was writing, my fiance is extremely creative as well. And I'm very grateful that I am able to live with someone who has creativity like mine and that we can put our brains together and collaborate and see eye to eye and accept each other's feedback and constructive criticism to take our projects to the next level. And so after that night where we were working on a project for the new book and trying to get the visual setup of what was happening, I just woke up and I, it wasn't even, it wasn't something extreme happened. I was just very grateful for the chance to live with someone like that and to have that access, you know, in my everyday. And so instead of just writing about last night, Nicole and I, you know, we, we printed out the ebook, we laid it on the floor and we just started to design things. It was, yeah, that happened, but why did I appreciate that moment? And so now that actually was the first time that I really, was able to bring the gratitude to the surface about living with someone creative. And so now that has taught me something about our relationship. And that's kind of like an example. Do you have, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here, but do you have any prompts that come to mind that would be good for content creators? I think, I, uh, let's see if I can turn this into a prompt because I think what's most important, 
with content and being if say you're, say you're in the, a, a teacher role, um, like you and I are on TikTok, you know, teaching about sp- some specific niche or topic. I think, I don't think I know a lot of what happens or what creates good content and good lessons is life experience. Um, and so for you, for example, you're podcasting with all these social media creators, influencers that are having some capacity of success. And so through that experience, you're gaining wisdom. And now you're sharing that unique wisdom with the world instead of just regurgitating what's already online. So your content is 100% unique to yourself in your own life experience. And so is my content because I'm taking lessons that I'm learning on my every day or in the past and turning them into teaching moments. So I don't know if this is actually a journal prompt now we're kind of going a different direction, but I think experiencing life is key to making good content. And so maybe to experience life and turning this into a journal prompt, make a list of things outside of your comfort zone that interests you within the realm of what you do as a creator and go down that list and go do those things and go experience life in those ways and see what comes back that you can add into your content. And I think that's going to create your unique perspective around whatever it is you create online. I love that. I literally posted a TikTok sometime, sometime in the next in the last couple of weeks of when we're recording this of, of that exact thing of you need to experience life in order to be a good creator. Because if you're just in a room all day creating, like you kind of get in this bubble and in order to create truly new content, like you said, you have to experience life. So you have to put the phone down. You have to turn the camera off, walk away from the laptop for a little while and go out and experience life and then let that influence your content. And I've noticed that a lot, especially when like I got really into script writing last year. So like I noticed it a lot there, um, but it's definitely ap- applicable to like any and all creator of any, any form. I think it's key. I think it's uh it's really just how I, at the end of the day, it's, it, it's what's going to make your content unique and be able to bring a unique perspective. And I think that's the key of, I mean, just the key in cutting through the noise is having a unique perspective or angle on things. You could, you know, you could be a videographer and, and still teach tips just like everyone else is, you know, is doing online, but how can you teach them differently? What can you say that most people aren't talking about? That kind of stuff. And I think that's where that experience kind of comes in. 100%. And it's that unique experience that will, everyone always tries to figure out how to be unique on social media. And the advice is always to be yourself because no one's had your experiences. You know what I mean? Like Tom Boyd and I, we don't create the same type of content, but we're in similar worlds. We're talking about creativity and, and being an online creator. And I, my content to, to your point is birthed out of me talking to all these social media people and influencers. And Boyd's is also born out of that a little bit, but his is also from his years spent in the music industry and he's taking music into like lessons he's learned from there and applying them to creators today. And it's like, we're creating similar types of content, but in different ways because our experiences are different. Yeah. And like, I, I, I follow both you guys and I think you both are very uh, creative creators in your own ways that definitely like just the way you create your content, not even necessarily what you're saying already stands out from what else I see on TikTok, and it is very unique in itself. Um, but I also, when I see both your your videos, say if they came one after another, I don't. They don't feel like they're competing in a way that would if you didn't offer unique perspectives because of that perspective that you're talking about. Like they seem like two different ends of the spectrum, even though you guys are within the same lane 
relative, <laughs> relatively. I know we're over time here and I appreciate your time. So I'm going to jump to my last question here. Um, we could, we could keep going for, for a long yeah, time. Yeah, man, we but, could talk forever. <laughs> yeah. So, so for the sake of time, my last question, I asked you this question last time. I should have written down what your answer was. And I can't remember what it was, but I like to flip the script a little bit with this last question. So instead of me asking the question, it's you asking the question, but it's not to me. Pretend you have a crystal ball. You can ask this crystal ball any question. You'll get the 100% honest answer. What is one question you want to know the answer to? Oh, it's so tough. I, I think my, just to, I think my answer last time was, am I on the right path? That's which correct. Is in, yes, now that you say that, yeah. Which is interesting because I almost feel like there is there's some beauty in delusion. Um, and I feel like that is what has allowed me to explore life more openly, just not really knowing and like experiencing and trying and seeing what resonates. So it's interesting that it seems like back then I was a little more desperate for knowing the exact line. Um, but today, I don't know, man, that's a tough question because I, I just feel, I feel very confident and present in in the current process of things and i feel because not to totally ruin this part of the the ending of the podcast and not be able to give a good answer but or a good question but i feel like i'm less focused on the future because i'm enjoying what i'm doing right now and that's because i'm fulfilling my purpose and what i'm doing so i'm less focused on like my future achievements i'm no, like they feel inevitable because i'm doing the right thing I guess, is there anything I could do more to, you know, give the community more value? I was just saying, I'm going to be thinking about there's beauty in the delusion for a little while here now. Yeah, it's, I've been reading, like, I read, a, and I don't want to totally you know, steal that concept in general. I feel like I've been hearing about it a lot lately. But I just read um, It's All in Your Head by Russ, um, the rapper and artist. And he, he has a whole section on delusion and just like, just like wildly trust, like overly believing and wildly trusting and just like not really sure what's happening, but knowing you're going to make it through, I feel like is very powerful and not being so like glued to an idea of what it needs to be. And that again, goes back to surrendering too, just being like, oh, like, yeah, it's just like happening. I don't know what's happening, but it's happening and I'm, and I'm accepting it. Um, so I think that's a, it's a, it's a interesting concept to kind of do some reflection on for sure. Yeah. And it's one I'll definitely be reflecting on after this, um, for sure. But I, uh, I want to thank you, man, so much for taking time to come back on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me again. To, of course, man. I know we've talked about it throughout, but where can the people find you? Where can they get the book plug anything and everything you've got right now? Yeah. Uh, TikTok. Instagram at Jordan Tarver website is jordantarver.com. You can grab the book on Amazon or through my website. Um, I also have a free discord community for anyone that's looking to join a community that makes them feel less alone on their, you know, self-improvement, personal growth journey. I also send out daily inspirational text messages for free. We'll never ask you for a dollar for it. Um, you can find that through the link in my bio, same with the discord. Um, but yeah, TikTok, come say what's up. Um, 
Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Of course, man. I'll make sure everything's linked in the show notes down below so people can find it. Uh, but thank you once again for taking time to come on the podcast. And I want to thank everybody for listening, whether you've listened the entire way through or you only listen to bits and pieces. I really appreciate you for taking time to check this out. Do me a big favor. Go and follow Jordan. Go sign up for his texting community. Join his Discord and buy a copy of his book, You Deserve This Shit. If you'd like to follow me, you can find me everywhere on social media at the Jacob Kelly. Feel free to come and say hello. My DMs are always open. Like I said, everything will be linked in the show notes down below so you can find it. As always, today's podcast is powered by Surf. Thank you once again for listening. We'll talk soon. Mm-hmm.